welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by our partners at Dive. Dive is a fully outsourced BI as a service solution, providing an enterprise grade data platform and services for gaming studios on all platforms. Dive's BI tools and service of data experts replace the need for a full in-house BI team, saving studios hundreds of thousands of dollars yearly. If you're interested in learning how Dive can unleash the power of data in your game's business and save money doing so, simply head to dive.games or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Bush, and today's fantastic episode has been long in the making. I'm joined by Scopely's co-CEO, Javier Ferreira, who has been a leader at Scopely for nearly 10 years and more broadly has over 20 years of experience in gaming, including at companies like Jamdat, EA, and Disney. Now, if you're a longtime Novik follower, even before this podcast started, you probably read our initial conversation where Javier discussed how Scopely works, including its focus on talent, LTV, its learning system, and what it views as its opportunities for the future. To Javier's credit, it holds up really well. And if you haven't read it, I strongly recommend checking it out in addition to this episode. I'll link to it in the show notes. But that was two and a half years ago. And while much has philosophically stayed the same, a lot has changed too. Scopely is now the number one mobile games company in the US as measured by US IAPs is the number two largest North American games company as measured by global IAPs, and it currently serves over 100 million monthly players across its portfolio of games. In the past two years, just as a couple examples, Scopely has made acquisitions like of StumbleGuys, developed an enormous hit in Monopoly Go, and the company itself also experienced a successful exit to Savvy Games Group. As a preview, that's three of the many things we'll talk about today. And this episode is, of course, part two in our deep dive series into Savvy Games Group. But without further preamble, Javier, welcome back to another Novik interview. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Fun to be here. Yeah, hearing you kind of outline all the things that have happened over the last kind of two and a half years, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. And so I'm really excited uh, to be joined with you today. And I think everyone listening is going to be interested in all of these topics that we're going to discuss. But I think the best place to start is just that. Let's spend a couple minutes catching up to speed at a high level on how Scopely has changed since we last talked and what it looks like today. I mentioned a couple examples there, but can you provide a quick timeline of all the key milestones, whether launches, transactions, big changes, et cetera, that have occurred over the past couple of years and led to Scopely's outsized growth. Yeah, absolutely. I would say probably the last kind of two and a half years have been the most kind of eventful years in the in the history of uh, you know of the company. I think when we last kind of spoke, we were in the kind of midst of kind of launching Scrabble, if I remember kind of correctly, and you know that's turned out to be a kind of you know. You know great kind of contributor to our kind of portfolio with millions of players kind of playing on a monthly basis. We went through 
the ups and downs of COVID. You know, that was a kind of interesting time for a lot of game companies. Obviously, the business saw a significant kind of spike in engagement and revenue. And at the same time, it was hectic working from home, a lot of change, also a lot of kind of disruption around the talent market. It was, I think, stressful for a lot of the teams and organizations. And, and I'm really proud of the way that as an organization, we, you know, we weathered that. At the end of 2021, we welcomed GSN to Scopely team. That was a kind of acquisition that, that really significantly expanded the depth and breadth of our kind of casual portfolio. And there was a lot of kind of synergies in terms of, you know, our kind of product understanding and approaches to, you know, LTV, UA, et cetera, across some of the leading kind of casual games in mobile. And that certainly kind of moved us significantly higher in terms of scale, uh, both in terms of player base and, and, and revenues. In 2022, uh, we started, you know, some of the, you know, kind of conversations that led to the deal with with Savvy. There was a lot of kind of inbound interest in the company. I think in the second half of 2022, you know, at, at that point, we were probably the leading independent mobile games company in North America. I think the other kind of really exciting thing that happened to us in 22 was, you know, the acquisition of Stumble Guys. We we you know we partner really closely with the with the KitKat team who were really kind of looking for a partner to take over you know what was effectively an amazing kind of and highly engaging kind of core loop, but that needed to really be scaled into a free to play service and into a free to play game and and you know they were a team of three or four people if I remember kind of correctly and they and they were really looking for somebody that could that could kind of be the the. You know, the home for that product and for that community and take it to the next level. We had great conversations with them. And, uh, you know, we brought Stumble Guys to the to the Scopely portfolio with it, a huge, huge kind of number of kind of players, you know, dozens of millions of players kind of, you know, every every month. And also a different, you know, type of free-to-play business, a different type of acquisition uh, mechanics and dynamics for kind of players, different relationship with community uh, and a different way of operating games, which has been, I think, a lot of fun for the organization and also has allowed us to learn uh, a lot over, over the last kind of 12 months where we have, uh, you know, built, I, I think, an incredibly kind of exciting and kind of solid business that I think is going to drive tremendous amount of upside for us as a, as a company over the over the next kind of few years. And so that was, I think, a big milestone for us. We can go deeper into kind of stumble guys and what it means and what it represents uh, for the company, but a big strategic bet. And then, you know, at the beginning of 2023, we started to put Monopoly in soft launch. Monopoly had been a project that we had been working on for, for many, many years very complicated kind of development process for a number of reasons, both on the kind of creative kind of side of things, but also, you know, on the on the development side of things. KPIs kind of look pretty exciting. In April, we ended up kind of going global with the product. And that was a huge, huge kind of launch for us. It's number one game right now in, in North America. I think number two game in the world uh, right now by kind of revenues. So that's uh, an exceptional kind of achievement. And of course, you know, bigger than everything that we have ever done. And at the same time, you know, part of the journey that we've been on, you know, because 
that was always, you know, the, the, the horizon that we were kind of marching towards. And I would say that we kind of were surprised and at the same time not surprised, you know, by the outcome, because I think it was it was part of, as I said, part of the journey that we were on. We're really proud of what we built there, you know, from a kind of creative perspective. I think some kind of really exciting, you know, design choices and innovations in that product that I think some of the, some people in the industry are starting to kind of understand and starting to kind of, uh, you know, describe, I think, pretty accurately. So that was, that was huge. And then in the midst of all of this, as a continuation of some of the conversations that we started to have with different parties in 2022, you know, we decided to, uh, we decided to kind of enter into a, into a deal with, uh, you know, Savvy Games Group at the beginning of April after, you know, many months of kind of conversations. And the, you know, the, the idea there was that he was a team savvy that had, you know, huge ambitions in terms of wanting to, what, what they wanted to do uh, in games. And, you know, I've seen, I think they've said that they want to be the largest games company in, in, in the world. And that's an aspiration that, you know, we find inspiring. There's not a lot of people, there's not a lot of companies or teams saying those, those kind of things. I think they also, you know, have not just the kind of commitment and desire, but also I think the capital to kind of get there and to kind of have a realistic kind of path to that outcome. And that was really exciting uh, for us. And then in terms of the partnership, their orientation was very much around investing in our strategy, investing in the path that, you know, we were on and the kind of roadmap that we had ahead of us. And so there was a sense that we could, you know, achieve a lot of continuity uh, in what we were doing, uh, but with a partner that could kind of really elevate and hopefully allow us to be even more ambitious and perhaps, you know, take more risks. And so that was kind of a really exciting kind of conversation on, you know, the fundamental reason why we decided to kind of go with them. Uh, so I would say that over the last two and a half years, you know, we've you know, grown a headcount exponentially. You know, we are uh, well over 2,000 people at this point spread across I don't even know how many countries these days, but, you know, global kind of footprint, our revenues, I think have more than, uh, you know, tripled over in, in, in that in that timeline. To your point, you know, we're now the number one games company in the U.S. by, you know, in-app revenue, number one mobile games company uh, by in-app revenue, which, which you know, is meaningfully different than where we were, you know, two, you know, two and a half years ago. And yet at the same time, something that we had always kind of aspired uh, to. And the player base that we are engaging with, uh, I think it's totally different, over 100 million kind of players on a kind of monthly basis. And that is something that, you know, motivates us and inspires us, you know, every day and inspires our teams to kind of, you know, improve our products against such a kind of huge player base. We keep learning. Uh, we keep doing things that we haven't done before. Uh, we had never had the biggest game uh, in North America. We had never had a game with the kind of DAU scale, with the MAU scale of Stumble Guys. And so that's that's exciting for us. We've always been a learning kind of company. We think that uh, if we're learning and we're growing, we cannot be defeated and we will always kind of eventually get to some of the things that we want to do. And so I think it's been, you know, an amazing kind of journey. Of course, in the midst of those two and a half years, a lot of issues, a lot of challenges, many places where you're failing and where you're struggling. I think overall, an amazing kind of time to be at Scopely and and, you know, there's a real sense, I think, within the company and within the organization that all of the two and a half last years have been incredible. I think the best years ahead of us because we have incredible momentum at a totally different scale. And as I said, you know, our kind of strategic partner with, with whom we can kind of really do big things. Amazing. That's a great answer. Thanks for, for sharing that outline. And <laughs> it really has been an incredible couple of years for you over at Scopely. I think if most teams looking forward at their next two years, if they could achieve a half of, of what you accomplished over the past couple of years, that would be completely game-changing. So congrats to the whole team 
on on the success. And we'll we'll dive into a bunch of the individual pieces of what you talked about from Monopoly Go, GSN, etc. Further in this interview, one one bigger picture question that I wanted to ask before we start diving into the weeds is, you know, specific games aside, in terms of the big picture ways that Scopely operates, like how it works with talent, builds technology, thinks about LTV, etc. Has anything evolved in a major way since we last talked in terms of the way that you operate? Or are those core philosophical parts of how Scopely works more or less stayed the same? I think philosophically, things have stayed, you know, kind of pretty much consistent. I think we have a certain kind of cultural tenants, right, that uh, that drive the values and the behaviors of the kind of organization and also the aspirations and the things that we want to do as a, as a team. I think we have, you know, a set of kind of um, views and kind of perspectives around, you know, free-to-play games and how do you kind of drive success in that ecosystem. And I think those have kind of stayed kind of consistent. And, and you know, I think what has, what has kind of perhaps kind of, you know, evolved is some of the ways that, you know, that we've kind of maybe applied, I guess, kind of lived each of those kind of tenets and beliefs, you know. So, for example, you know, in the case of Monopoly, I think we kind of did evolve how we were thinking about developing free-to-play games. And I think we did kind of evolve our kind of perspective on what was the ideal kind of path to market in terms of our development cycle. Uh, you know, I think in the case of, for example, Stumble Guys, I said before, it really kind of forced us to rethink, you know, how how user acquisition happens on, on a product of that scale with that level of kind of inherent kind of virality, you know, where perhaps user acquisition is not, you know, the, the or direct kind of user acquisition is not the kind of most kind of effective manner of, of acquiring users, right? And so we've had to kind of evolve and adapt how we thought about kind of marketing and engaging other kind of communities on, on, on a product like, like Stumble Guys. But to your point, I think most of the things that you mentioned at the, at the beginning have stayed kind of consistent. We are, you know, we are constantly trying to kind of improve and evolve, but I think we are kind of grounded across, you know, a number of kind of core kind of principles and those, and those are still the same than, you know, since, since, since we last spoke. Okay, great. And again, if you haven't or don't remember the last conversation I had with Javier, I recommend checking it out. Again, it'll be in the show notes and we, we dive and Javier talks through what all of those pillars are and how they, how they think about operating. So definitely go check that out. But let's go ahead and shift gears and start talking about the more specific projects. And I think we have to begin with Monopoly Go. And there are a lot of ways that we could discuss this, but let's start with this. Historically, many in the industry have viewed Scopely more as a publisher or a partner than necessarily a developer that makes its own games. But Monopoly Go was fully developed in-house. So my question is, how did Scopely evolve to develop the needed internal capabilities and structure to make not just a big hit, but your largest hit ever? You know, that's just uh, some of the kind of some of the kind of perspectives that the industry might have on how we've been kind of approaching a portfolio or developing a portfolio just inaccurate, right? And the reason for that is because I think sometimes kind of people think of it more in terms of companies. We think of it much more in terms of talent. I think sometimes people can be confused about, well, there's kind of different companies working on one game. And so 
who is making the game, this or that, right? And for us, it's always been about, you know, we are making the game, you know, we have the kind of ultimately the kind of kind of product vision, the product strategy on, on the kind of products that, uh, that we are making when we're developing kind of our organic slate. M&A obviously is a different story, but when we're talking about our, our slate, you know, we are driving the kind of uh, the vision, the kind of product strategy. And what we do is we bring together talent that is kind of optimized to execute against that opportunity. And what we have always believed is that, you know, we might be in some cases smart, but we don't think we're the smartest. And certainly we're not the smartest across every single kind of category of products that we wanted to do. We've always felt that partners teach us things that we don't know and help us go to places that we wouldn't be able to go on our own. And so what we've done is build teams that are kind of designed around talent, not around kind of, not around who is the publisher, who is the partner, that's that's kind of really not relevant. Like you have the Star Trek team and the Star Trek team, you know, was an amazing kind of group of people trying to do something, you know, truly exceptional and, you know, a first for Scopely. And it just so happened to be that that group of people, uh, some of them worked at Scopely, some of them worked at Digit. And I think that was, you know, that's really how we built the business. So when you think about kind of Monopoly Go, Nothing really has changed other than other than it just so happens that that talent at the time of launching Monopoly, though, you know, was all kind of, uh, you know, fully employed or, you know, fully employed by Scopely. Now, of course, when you look at the history and the inner workings of Monopoly Go, uh, you see some of the same dynamics. Monopoly Go was developed across multiple time zones, across multiple kind of uh, continents by teams and talent that in some cases were, you know, Long-time Scopely veterans that have been, you know, the company for many, many years. Uh, in some other cases, teams that we acquired through different, you know, phases of the company. And, you know, th- these teams kind of came together to form a single team, which was kind of Monopoly Go. That was really the team that kind of delivered the, the outcome. So if you, if you actually look at the inner workings of the franchise, not that different from kind of prior uh, projects that we worked on. And I think what was different is not whether it was kind of internal, external. Actually, what was different is how we kind of approached the development of the product and particularly how we gated kind of progression of the game based on what we were seeing in the software. Okay, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And and honestly, even the last time we talked, your how you view talent and being flexible with where it comes from and how you piece it together, it left an impression on me and even you know, has helped influence how we at Novic think about bringing together talent through partners, through contractors, through employees, et cetera. So just bring the best people together and drive high quality output and not overthink the structure too much. Yeah. So, so that's really know. cool. Yeah, and also I think also just kind of being mindful uh, of the things that you don't know. You know, I think that's uh, when you look at when you look at Scopely, I think one of the things that uh, we're proud of and I think it's very unique is our ability to be successful across so many different genres. That's kind of strategy, RPG, casual, and, and others. And, and in order to do that, you have to be humble. You have to be ambitious because you got to kind of do things that a lot of people say, hey, you're not going to be able to do that. That's kind of, uh, that's not, not, Nobody has been able to do that. That's not kind of, you can't execute against that strategy. So you have to be ambitious. And, you know, for us, it was being ambitious from a business perspective, but also creatively. You know, we wanted to be a company that could do a lot of different games because that we thought that was fun and kind of exciting. But you got to be humble. You got to be humble about 
the things that, that you're not an expert in, where you need help, where you need kind of people to, you know, give you the insights that you might not have. And so I think that's that's been a kind of core part of our DNA, and I, I think it's helped as well in the journey towards kind of monopoly. Though. And that's why I said before, we couldn't kind of anticipate that the game was going to be the number one game in, in the U.S. And yet after the fact, you know, I can tell you that, of course, you know, been, we've been working towards that, those kind of goals, you know, over the last, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years. That's it's That's been the journey that we've been on. Right. And with Monopoly Go, it's also worth noting that this game is crushing it at a time when many other studios are struggling or scaling back because of ATT and just a more competitive, slower mobile market. I'm curious to hear your views on why Monopoly Go is able to buck that trend. It comes down to two fundamental drivers. I think one is more important than the others than the other. So I'll, I'll start with the kind of one that I think is less important, although, you know, huge, uh, of course. And that has been, you know, just how relevant the IP has been in the kind of marketplace and the kind of marketing kind of KPIs that we've been able to achieve with it. And that's, that's obviously been better than we had ever seen in any of our products. There had never been a free-to-play Monopoly game launched in mobile. And of course, you know, we had to kind of reimagine what Monopoly would be as a, as, as a game for mobile audiences, a free play game for mobile audiences. The audience reception has been, you know, has been kind of incredible. And we've seen exceptional marketing KPIs on the game. But I think the more important one, and I think really what is kind of, I think the foundation of the product is really amazing kind of product KPIs. Uh, it's really amazing kind of product KPIs, retention numbers that I've never kind of never that I have I, I hadn't heard you know I hadn't seen you know D30 retention numbers similar to the ones that Monopoly Go has been achieving for many 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 years you know in kind of mobile games. And when I say I haven't seen, I'm not talking about the scope of kind of portfolio. I'm just talking across across the whole kind of portfolio. So an incredible kind of you know retention curve. And I think coupled with an intention, you know, an amazing kind of retention curve, incredible social dynamics within the game. You know, players activate other players within the game, and also players really kind of uh, get other players to join the game by virtue of playing. And again, at a at a magnitude that we had never seen, and I think that is a testament to some of the kind of great design choices uh, that the team has made. So it is the the the, the foundation of the kind of product is really an amazing kind of retention curve and an incredibly kind of social experience that drives levels of virality that are, you know, I think, I think I've never seen a free play game. Awesome. Uh, let's go ahead and switch gears and talk about Stumble Guys for a moment. We could talk about Monopoly Go for the whole episode, but you have a yeah. lot of other stuff going on too. So got to keep it we moving. Do, we do, we do. <laughs> so, you know, as I mentioned, personally, one lasting impression from our previous conversation was how Scopely does a great job working with talents in flexible ways. And what enables that flexibility, as you previously mentioned, in part, is your core operating system and technology platform. And with StumbleGuys, though, we saw another flexible outcome in which you acquired a game, but not necessarily the studio behind it. And so I'm just curious to, to hear your thoughts on why that was the right approach in this case, but also how are you able to absorb a game so effectively without its team and take it to, to new heights? To the, to the point of why was, the, why was that the kind of right approach, I would say 
I don't know whether it was or not, but the, the, the reality is that that was the approach that the situation required, you know. And so that is that is that speaks about our flexibility. You know, we we don't we don't have a kind of preconceived kind of model of how we're going to partner with people. We go to our partners and we listen and we understand what do they need. And I think in the case of kind of uh, you know Kitka, they were a very small team that you know had uh, you know built this amazing kind of core game experience, and I think they were kind of. Uh, you know, surprised and overwhelmed by what was happening in terms of kind of, you know, reception in the kind of marketplace. And they were really looking for a partner that could be the home of the game, not for the next six months, but forever, right? You know, that's how we started our kind of conversations. And, you know, that's that's really what they were looking for. They weren't kind of looking to kind of join any company. They, they were looking for, hey, we love this game. We love this experience. We're not kind of, we don't really see ourselves as kind of being able to scale this. And we're looking for, for a partner to do that. And we think Scopely would be an amazing one. And so we listen first. And then based on that, you know, we, we, we kind of build a strategy. And to your point, you know, I think we are one of the few companies that can kind of, I think effectively take a challenge, you know, like that. And, and, and I think that the two kind of, you know, the two kind of key things that uh, enabled our success on that front was first play Gami, our, our kind of, you know, games platform, because that's a kind of very modular kind of games platform that uh, allowed us to start kind of inserting capabilities into, into what was, as I said, a very small kind of core experience or core loop that existed at that point. And to start kind of really you know, moving from just having a game to start having a really kind of free-to-play game service. And to do that with at a speed and with levels of quality that I think are, are you know, market-leading. So I think that was that was the kind of first thing, uh, the first kind of thing that really allowed us to, to be successful there. And the second one was a talent ecosystem. You know, we have really strong, you know, Franchise and studios all over the world. We are very focused on kind of talent density in our in our games. We try to even have excess kind of talent density. Uh, we we and if if you can have that right. And so when when a product like when an opportunity like Stumble Guys you know comes along, we are capable of moving incredibly kind of talented people from other kind of products onto onto Stumble Guys without kind of having a kind of impact on some of the kind of existing portfolio and build a kind of leadership team that could kind of really start building the strategy and the vision of what we want to do with, you know, with that product kind of long term. Uh, and then I think the third, the third kind of driver, you know, has to do with what we said before. You know, we, we, we are then kind of really capable, both from a kind of uh, game development, but also from a BD kind of perspective, to partner with additional kind of studios that can then expand uh, the capacity and the muscle, right, that we necessarily need to go after the kind of roadmap that the Stumble Guys team is is uh, is you know putting together. So I think it comes down to you know certainly flexibility in terms of how we approach these conversations, and then capabilities that we have that, that take you know many many years to build and to kind of fine tune, and that you know we are we have spent those years kind of you know building those capabilities, and I think some of those are starting to kind of you know deliver amazing kind of results. Yeah. In our previous interview, you said, and I quote, we want to take our capabilities to more platforms and really think of ourselves as a player-centric company rather than as a platform-centric company, end quote. And Scopely has, of course, been early in supporting free-to-play cross-platform gameplay for years now. But Stumble Guys is looking to be the latest example. I want to ask, what are your cross-platform aspirations with Stumble Guys specifically, but also more broadly, how have your cross-platform aspirations evolved or grown over the past couple of years? 
Yeah, I think on 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 Stumble Guys, I think we've we've announced that we're launching uh, the game uh, on Xbox and kind of PlayStation. You know, I think with additional kind of platforms uh, to come, you know, soon thereafter. So we're really kind of going cross-platform. The game has uh, has been you know available on Steam and online for you know for for many 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 months now, and, and that's been a you know successful part of the ecosystem. So I would say that Stumble Guys is you know. Quarter, you know, one quarter from now, I think Q1 is going to be the first product on the Scopely kind of portfolio where we are truly, you know, touching every single, pretty much every single kind of gaming platform, or every, every kind of single relevant kind of gaming platform that you can be on. So that's an, kind of, you know, very exciting for us. And as you say, that is not just, I guess, you know, an isolated kind of, you know, event, but part of a, you know, broader strategy that has to do with, you know, serving players where it makes sense and where they want to kind of play uh, our game. So, you know, we've been on that uh, journey for, for a number of years now. On Star Trek, we have built a really successful kind of PC and kind of web presence, both in terms of community engagement. I think it's over 20% of our kind of usage on Star Trek is now kind of PC-based, uh, PC web-based, which, you know, we're kind of excited about. We've done a lot of things, you know, with some of our other products like, you know, WWE, which has been also, you know, very successful web experience kind of from us. And as we think about, you know, the future, you know, we 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 really don't want kind of platform to be something that we have to think about in terms of a constraint or something that we have to kind of, you know, deal with. You know, we want to kind of be making games that are, that are, as I said, designed, you know, designed kind of for a particular type of player, for a particular type of audience. And that varies by game, of course. And then have the creative and technology and publishing kind of capabilities to be able to serve those players regardless of the platform. And a lot of our kind of future games are going to be, you know, cross-platform launch day and day. There might be games that are, you know, mobile only, and there might be games that are, you know, only console console only or console first, uh, depending on, on the type of kind of product and audience and, you know, team that we are, you know, working with. I think we really think of ourselves as a games company these days, we love mobile because the audience is, you know, incredible because the business model is incredible. But fundamentally, we are free-to-play games as service kind of company. Those are the two fundamental kind of things, you know, things that we believe uh, that we believe in. We believe in our ability to monetize, you know, through free-to-play business model and to listen to our players and continuously make our games better through, you know, games as a service kind of philosophy. And we think that's equally applicable regardless of the platform. And I think three to five years from now, uh, a significant amount of our revenues are going to be outside of mobile. You know, we are well on that journey, as I said, both from a creative technology and from a publishing perspective. That's really interesting. And I guess just as a follow-up to that, when it was announced that Scopely would be acquired by Savvy, there was some speculation chatter that maybe Scopely will then feel more empowered to broaden its reach and maybe even create more console PC first types of games. I'm, I'm curious, like you, you just mentioned that, you know, you view yourself more as a games company than even a mobile company. And I think that is an evolution from <laughs> at least where you started. But how how true is it that like the Scopely part of or sorry, that the savvy part of the equation is changing your view on that? Obviously. Savvy, wanting wanting to be the largest games company in the world. In order to do that, you have to serve all platforms pretty well. And Scopely is, you know, the premier game maker of Savvy these days. So, how does that all tie together from the the Savvy point of view, if at all? 
Yeah, I think I think you know everything that I kind of said in my kind of I guess kind of prior answer. I think was is true and was true kind of uh, you know prior to the kind of savvy kind of partnership. So we were on that path and on that journey, and uh, I don't think uh, I don't think there's been a change in that aspect uh, of what we're discussing here. Now, having said that, you know what savvy brings is first very long term orientation. And they, they are not thinking in terms of a year, three years or five. They're really thinking in terms of, you know, I'd, I'd say decades in some cases, you know, when, when you speak to the kind of, you know, leadership of that organization. They, they are trying to do something that is kind of very long term. And, uh, and when you kind of think long term, I think the ability to evolve and to think bigger naturally occurs, right? If, if you and I are thinking about, hey, what can we do over the next 12 months? We're going to have a certain conversation. If you and I talk about, hey, what can we do over the next 10 years? The conversation is going to be different, right? And I think so. I think we have been kind of impacted, certainly, you know, really positively by that kind of long-term kind of orientation. So that's kind of, you know, the first thing. I think the, the other thing kind of that is, you know, real about kind of savvy is that, uh, you know, has tremendous, you know, has access to a level of kind of capital that is kind of very significant. You know, we have, you know, we have used M&A as a core part of our strategy, in the past, but inevitably we were capital constrained in what we could do uh, from an M&A kind of perspective. You know, we 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 would have kind of conversations at the company level. Hey, why don't we buy this company or that other company? Because it could be a really great strategic fit that could accelerate some of these conversations that we're having. But then somebody would come and say, "We just well, we don't have the capital," and we would say, <laughs> you know, "You're probably right," because we weren't talking about kind of small companies, right? And I think now with uh, you know with Savvy, we have a real opportunity not to have that constraint. Of course, we always want to make great decisions and we always want to do things that are strategic, but we no longer have that kind of constraint. Uh, that is also something that is kind of you know impacting how we're thinking about you know that path and that evolution and that acceleration of our platform of our strategy. So I think those are the two kind of fundamental kind of ways. And of course, as we said, you know, when you want to be the, you know, the number one games company in the world, you have to be, you know, uh, incredibly kind of relevant and you got to be leading in all kind of platforms. And also, I would say for us now as a team, you know, we are the number one kind of uh, mobile games company by revenues in North America. And as you, I think, said at the beginning, the number one, the number two company that is kind of headquarters in North America, right? And so when we think about it, where do we grow from here? I mean, mobile is incredibly exciting and key part of our strategy, but we see also a lot of our, you know, potential kind of growth in, in, in other platforms. So I think it's, it, you know, we're really on a journey that is at, at the core is driven by a lot of the kind of core scopely principles and ideas and aspirations of the team. You know, we are very kind of team, emotionally led, you know, kind of organization. And by that, what I mean is that, look, I think I think the team here wants to do certain things. Sometimes those things make strategic perfect sense. Sometimes not 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 perfectly. If if the team is excited about kind of pursuing that strategy, you know, we, we do pursue it. And so I, I think the journey that we run is it continues to be led by a lot of the kind of scopely kind of core principles. And I would say augmented and accelerated by what Savvy brings to the table. That's a really interesting answer, Javier. Thanks for sharing that. It seems like you all have no shortage of ambition. And when you pair that with access to greater capital, I think it'll be really interesting uh, to see what that means in, in the future as the industry changes, you look at new opportunities, yeah. et cetera. And look, I, I would say yes, ambition. I think it's it's exciting. It's a lot of energy. Ambition creates a lot of energy. And I think energy is the number one 
you know, ingredient of a kind of a successful company. And then, of course, capital opens up a lot of doors. But I, I, I would just say cause something that we talk a lot about. I think ambition needs to be always coupled with humility. And if, if, if that is not the case, then I think then I'm, I'm not so sure I would be excited about kind of ambition. And, and I think can have a lot of, you know, uh, downside or kind of potential kind of negative kind of side effects. So we, we've always described ourselves as a very ambitious team, but also as a very humble team. And I think that's that's the that's I think the, the one of the secrets to our success. Yeah, that, that sounds wise. And I think we'll we'll treat you well. But even so, it'd be interesting to see, you know, how how this unfolds over the, the next decade as your entire company takes uh, a long-term view here. And of course, you know, I'm excited to talk to, to Brian Ward and in, a, in an interview soon uh, to kind of dig into more of this from the, the savvy point of view. I, I want to get back to talking more scopely specific stuff. But since we're talking about savvy, one last question for you on the topic. Obviously, there are other pieces than then Scopely as part of Savvy Games. We talked to the ESL Faceit co-CEOs uh, a couple of weeks ago, and there are other other pieces and still more capital to deploy. And yeah. I imagine the organization could continue to to evolve a lot in in the coming years. I'm just curious to get your point of view on like what else excites you or interests you about the broader Savvy Games strategy, ambition, other pillars. However, you want to take that, I would be curious to hear your thoughts. Sure, sure. You know, I think first of all, the kind of conversation of the potential partnerships with uh, ESL FaceIt are, are kind of really exciting. You know, we are, uh, you know, more and more thinking of, you know, thinking of ourselves not as a kind of, you know, content or gameplay kind of company, but much more of as a kind of context and community creating kind of companies, right? And I think uh, they have tremendous kind of capabilities that can kind of really help us to kind of advance uh, on that path. And I think we're having, you know, really interesting kind of conversations with them on, on things that we can do together, both for some of our existing gains, but also for, our, you know, future kind of, uh, you know, products. So I think that's the, of the kind of existing kind of, uh, you know, companies in the portfolio. Uh, I think there's a lot of kind of interesting synergies between between them and us. And, you know, as it relates to kind of wider strategies, some of the things, you know, some of the things that, you know, that I said before, you know, it's still a kind of young company and they are very early in their in their journey. And, you know, what I'm excited about the most is just the the the, the long term ambitious vision that, you know, that they that they bring to the kind of the table, which is, you know, my experience kind of true and accurate. Right. There's a, a lot of people can say those kind of things, but then you actually have to kind of actually live it. And I think, and I think they do, and I think they mean it, and I think that's that's you know very exciting for a team of builders uh, like us uh, who you know on a journey to kind of see how you know what we can do kind of professionally you know with this with this adventure that we're on called Scopely. Great. Well, let's let's go ahead and get back to the Scopely specifics. We talked about Monopoly Go. We talked about Stumble Guys. There's a lot we could talk about, but one one other quick area I just wanted to to hit on is. Uh, GSN. And that was another unique transaction because you acquired the team in games like Bingo Bash and Solitaire Tripeaks from Game Show Network, which is a subsidiary within Sony Pictures Entertainment. Why was that team a good fit? And even more broadly, just like, what did you learn from integrating that type of business into your um, current business? And if you have any broader like lessons learned or takeaways on, on like that integration acquisition process yeah I uh, would be yeah. happy to hear that yeah I think look I think the the there were a number of reasons why I think GSN was was a kind of you know interesting kind of partnership uh, for us 
the first thing, and, and I think this kind of connects to uh, some of the things that we have learned around kind of M&A, is that I think the team had a really strong kind of orientation to partner with us. Sometimes people talk about, well, Scopely, GSN, like it feels kind of all abstract, but ultimately it's people, right? That's what it comes down to. And I think uh, there was a strong kind of synergy, you know, with Mark Feldman, you know, who was the CEO of kind of GSN. And there was excitement from the team about what we, we could do together. And I think that was, you know, fun, you know a really kind of important kind of uh, uh, foundation of our, of our desire to do this deal. I would say that if that is not the case, we would never do a deal with any team or with any company, regardless of, of you know, whatever kind of upside could be, could be you know, could be, uh, you know, forecasted or kind of expected as part of that transaction. You know, the first thing is you want to work with people that are also excited about working with you. Oh, I think that, you know, more on the kind of, you know, strategic kind of side of things, there was an amazing kind of fit in terms of their portfolio and our portfolio. And so there was a, there was a sense that we could bring value to some of the things that we were doing and also learn from some of the things that they had achieved. You know, uh, Solid the Tri-Peaks is a product that we had been watching kind of very closely for many, many years. And we had seen, you know, that team do amazing things in terms of growing the LTV and the revenue of that product. You know, we felt there was a lot of kind of product synergy between our teams and uh, would allow us to, you know, build one of the leading kind of casual portfolios in mobile. You know, I think the, the the third kind of piece that was interesting for us, there was just scale. The combined kind of entities, you know, were meaningfully larger and, you know, meaningfully larger, not just maybe in terms of kind of just total revenues, but also in terms of kind of where that put us in the kind of whole kind of mobile ecosystem. And as I said, it really made us the number one independent games company, mobile games company in, in the U.S. And that in itself was very valuable for us for a number of reasons that have to do with strategics, relation to capital, etc. And I think finally, there was also, you know, as part of the acquisition, you know, Sony came, you know, joined Scopely as an investor. And of course, that was, you know, that's a kind of amazing company with a very strong kind of track record in gaming. And uh, that was also something that we considered. So the, the you know, the... There were a lot of kind of points, a lot of dimensions that made that kind of deal kind of exciting. Um, and to your point, it's part of, you know, part of a journey that we've been on as acquirers of kind of companies. We have done many deals uh, over the last, you know, 10 years. Some, you know, some very large, like GSN. Some, you know, small some public, some that haven't kind of really been announced for a number of reasons, right? So uh, I think what has been kind of important for us at Scopely is that M&A is part of our OS. It's not something that we do from time to time. It's something that we're doing all the time. And most of the time that we are kind of doing M&A, we are saying no to kind of buying teams, but it is something that we are practicing on an ongoing kind of basis. And I think that is key to a successful kind of M&A strategy because by going through that kind of practice and that exercise, you are building a lot of the muscle uh, that uh, that you need to be able to assess and kind of integrate, you know, this this these types of kind of transactions. So I would I would kind of highlight that as as you know one of the important parts of our of our MA strategy. It's not tactical, it's not one off, it is it is strategic and I can it 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 serves, you know, the, the purpose of what I said at the beginning, which is 
you build a great company by aggregating people and talent. And that's, I believe, that we've had. And M&A has been the tool to kind of achieve that. So I think that's the first you know, thing that, uh, that has been key for us. The second one is what I said before. Um, people, people, people. You know, it comes down to that. Are these people you want to spend you know, the next number of years with? And do they want to spend the next number of years with you? And to be clear, that's got nothing to do with whether they are good people or bad people, or whether you're good or bad or whatever. It has to do with fit and alignment around kind of values and objectives. It's important to be kind of honest and transparent around that, because if you don't, then things can get kind of complicated down, down the line. And we have said no to way, way more deals than we have said yes. And in some cases, we have said no to deals that looked kind of really good from a kind of financial kind of perspective and from a strategic perspective, because we just didn't think it was going to be a good fit for us kind of, you know, long term. So I think that's the second piece that is kind of really important. And then the 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 the, the third one is, you know, once you kind of do the deal, it's kind of it's kind of complicated because, and I'm not sure necessarily how kind of uh, best to kind of I guess maybe articulate this or describe this, but I think I think there has to be a tremendous level of care, you know, in in these kind of transactions because when you know when a company gets acquired, I think there is a sense of you know in some say in some ways you're losing some control right o- over how you've been operating, some autonomy, and whether that's kind of real or perceived, you know that's 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 kind of out there, you know, and I think what we have learned is that you have to be very careful in how you know kind of uh, interact you know with the teams, make sure that things get kind of explained really well. Move slowly rather than fast. Find extra levels of alignment. Slow down if that alignment is not there. So I, I would say this idea of being, you know, caring and proceeding with a lot of care is something that has served us, uh, you know, well. And I think a corporate development and BD organization has built, a, you know, an amazing kind of team that kind of really takes care, you know, of that whole process and make sure that uh, the relationship between us and the kind of new team and the new company is something that we're curating, you know, uh, through the whole kind of uh, transaction that we are kind of hearing feedback all the time and iterating on an ongoing basis. And of course, that doesn't mean that we don't kind of get things wrong, but we certainly kind of are very careful in, in you know, over the first kind of, you know, quarters and, and, you know, year or so on how those, you know, how we are working with those teams. And I think if you don't do that, we just kind of think of M&A as something that, hey, you're doing and then, and then you know, loosely integrating. And, and look, to be honest, I mean, we've seen we've seen some big deals in mobile games that uh, at least from the outside, you've said like, you know, what, what how, you know, how did this kind of come to be? I'm not. I'm not saying something that is necessarily kind of obvious. I think you got to be very careful. Maybe careful is not the word. You have to proceed with a lot of care uh, on on how you are kind of uh, bringing those teams together. So I would say those are some of the things that I think uh, have driven our success. And, you know, we, as I said, you know, we, we continue to see M&A as, as a key driver of our growth kind of on a go-forward basis. Um, and, of course, uh, given our scale and given our kind of access to capital, we you know, we're thinking really big on that front. That's a great answer. And I can tell you've gained some wisdom through executing your M&A muscle over time. So so thanks for sharing that. Let's go ahead and talk about the future. And in our previous conversation, on top of uh, and beyond continuing to crush it with these mobile-first live service games, you highlighted cross-platform gaming, UGC, and Asia as potential core growth opportunities for Scopely. And so I just want to 
quickly, we, we hit on the cross-platform with, with Stumble Guys, but I want to yeah. just quickly hit on these other other ones that, and we can keep this this a bit brief as we get to the close yeah. of the, the interview. But in our last conversation, you said, and I quote, one of our ambitions is to empower players to, in some ways, make the games and direct the consumer experience. We call it directed by consumer. There are a lot of things happening in the UGC space and no-code gaming that are going to continue empowering players to be on that journey. That's part of our strategy. What is, Javier, what is your or Scopely's latest view on all things UGC? And how do you view that as part of Scopely's future from 2023 looking forward now? We continue to kind of, uh, you know, have a belief that the kind of most successful games businesses kind of moving forward are going to be not content kind of businesses or even kind of gameplay businesses, but context and community kind of driven businesses. You know, as an example of a company that is on that journey is, you know, I become Fortnite, right? I would say that that, 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 that kind of, that's a game that is moving forward seems to be moving from a kind of, you know, content kind of business to a context kind of business and from a business where the developers were making most of the kind of content to one where the community uh, is is building a lot of it. So I think that's the, that's going to be something that uh, is going to be a huge trend, we believe, in games. And uh, if anything, our conviction around that has kind of increased, you know, since we kind of, uh, since we last kind of spoke. I think the, 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 the first kind of game where we're, you know, making kind of meaningful kind of move uh, on that front is on, you know, Stumble Guys, where we are going to be kind of launching, you know, user-generated user generating tools and capabilities in you know, the next quarters in the game. And we think that's going to be, you know, really exciting for the community. And, you know, as we think about a kind of future slate of products, that is something that we're very focused on and we are making some kind of big bets on that. And on top of that, we continue to invest and think of what are the kind of context and community-driven kind of dynamics that we can create in our existing games. You know, for example, Star Trek is an incredibly kind of, you know, deeply social kind of game and uh, has, you know, one of the most engaged kind of communities that I've ever seen in games. The, 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 the long-term retention of that game is incredible and it is driven not, not by content, but by the social context that it's kind of being created. Uh, so we, we are kind of firm believers in, in, in that. Stumble Guys is, is the first time that we are going to be, uh, you know, squarely in the kind of use-generated kind of content. And as we think about a future slate, there are, there are a number of products that are, that are kind of aligned, you know, around that vision. Uh, you know, when it comes to when it comes to Asia, for me, the 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 thing that I kind of find the most kind of uh, uh, attractive around Asia from a scope perspective is just the amount of kind of R and D and kind of free to play games to service talent that is you know in that in that kind of market. And you know, we are we are and we continue to kind of work hard to uh, partner. You know, with uh, with that talent, we think that the partnership between us and and the kind of studios that sometimes we see in places like China or Korea uh, can be incredibly unique and can merge know-how and cultures and, and talent that could deliver some kind of really exciting outcomes. And so we continue to kind of pursue that strategy. We made some progress. Progress is never linear, uh, but we're patient. I'm, I'm confident that next time we speak, Aaron, in two and a half years, we can go. You know, we'll have we'll have some kind of you know, clear successes that we can speak about. We continue to pursue that strategy with conviction. And as I said, I think uh, some of the best kind of game teams in the world are are in Asia. And, you know, it's been, it's been said before, but their understanding of kind of free-to-play 
it's just so native because they, they never really had anything that wasn't free to play. And so they, they, it's a really kind of exciting R&D, R&D environment. And, and we, are, we are working hard to build partnerships there. Cool. So, so as I said last time, you mentioned cross-platform gaming, UGC, and Asia as core growth opportunities. Is that more or less the same for you today? Or would you add a fourth or a fifth pillar to that as you look forward? I think about kind of where we are, you know, today, uh, the scale that we're at, uh, in order for us to kind of, uh, you know, drive large kind of meaningful kind of growth, it's going to have to be, you know, really large games, you know, really large games. And so that's kind of what what we are focused on. Of course, I think we have still a lot of growth uh, ahead of us in in our kind of existing portfolio, you know, Monopoly launched. Was it six months ago? Less than six months ago. Of course, the, the scale has achieved is is incredible. But uh, we, we think we think it has kind of growth ahead of ahead of it. So we, we're working hard on that, you know. And with our with our kind of future games, you know, we are kind of focused on cross platform for sure. Um, you know, we are focused on very large audience games. Uh, um, you know, I think we are thinking of. Uh, you know, games that can kind of really penetrate the culture rather than just be games, you know, games as business, but games as culture. And I think we're going to have to deliver those kind of outcomes to drive those games. And when I think about, hey, how do you deliver those those kind of product outcomes? Yeah, it's cross-platform and total accessibility and, and total kind of, you know, accessibility to players is one thing. But yes, the second thing is, how can we drive how can we build ecosystems and playgrounds uh, where players can really direct the experience, where players can kind of really over time take control of the game and move it in the direction that they want the you know, game to evolve towards because those are the games that first are going to build the most loyal kind of communities and really going to be really long-lasting kind of uh, uh, ecosystems. But I think also those are the kind of games that over time are going to aggregate really, really large audiences. So I would say that yes, the, the, some of the some of the kind of growth vectors are still pretty much you know pretty much the same. And then of course you know there are some kind of enabling technologies that are exciting. You know people talk about AI. Uh, I think there's some really interesting opportunities around AI and you know potentially kind of game development. I, I actually think the really kind of exciting part of you know. Game, you know, AI has to do around game design uh, rather than kind of game development and how can it can impact how we design games, but also how players experience the design of games. So that's kind of exciting. But ultimately, you know, it comes down for me. Those are just you know, those are just tools to ultimately do the things that we have to do kind of moving forward, which is you know, build really exciting game ecosystems that can that can kind of excite and motivate millions and millions of players worldwide to come into those playgrounds and stay uh, and play with their friends and with their communities for years and years and years. And and I think that's what it comes down to. And that's how we're going to drive, you know, exciting growth over the next few years. Well, Javier, I could ask you so many questions about what you've learned as a leader over the past decade at Scopely, but <laughs> we would probably need a whole nother episode for that. But I do have one question for you that is somewhat related to, to what you were just talking about there. And one last quote for you from our previous conversation. You said, quote, 
our own operating system gets much better with scale and our learning machine gets much better with scale. That said, it's not clear that creativity gets much better with scale, end quote. And so my final question to you about Scopely is, as your business has tremendously scaled over the past few years and looks to further scale, maybe become the largest games company in the world one day, what have you learned and what are you thinking about regarding balancing the tensions between creativity and processes and systems in order to create the largest possible outcomes for your games? Yeah. You know, I think I think you quoted me there as saying, as I, I'm not sure creativity gets better with scale. So I have kind of learned that it does not. Uh, I am now convinced that it doesn't. <laughs> okay, uh, So 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 that's kind of you know it's kind of evolution. If I had to, you know, kind of simplify, you know, the journey that we have been on as a as a as a kind of as a team as an organization as relates to that, I think there was a sense in the past. And of course, we're talking shades of gray, right? Uh, not black and white, but you know, I think there was a sense that perhaps, you know, game teams kind of work for Scopely. Uh, and I think we have really tried to kind of evolve that. And I, and I certainly think we have evolved that kind of pretty significantly and pretty meaningfully. And I think, you know, today, really the company works for the game teams. And I think that is particularly the case for games and development. Because games in development is is uh, anything that happens in gaming development doesn't matter if the creative magic is not there. The creative magic has to do with a group of people, with their own kind of internal dynamics, with how they work together, how they dream together, how they lose uh, and suffer together. Because there's a lot of that in kind of game development. Uh, you know what we've tried to kind of really evolve the organization is to build an ecosystem that can support that journey that can kind of not interfere with it, not control it, not direct it, but instead, you know, try to kind of uh, provide the tools, the support, uh, and the companionship uh, that sometimes is required to kind of be successful through that journey. So we have tried to kind of put creativity and the teams at the center of that journey. And we are kind of, you know, really kind of as an organization servants to to those teams and, and to their own kind of internal dynamics, which sometimes... You know, can be complex. It took us seven years to kind of make Monopoly go. It's not by choice. I can tell you that. You know, there were very a lot of frustrating moments uh, on 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 that journey. But uh, but there was also an understanding that that team was committed to certain to something. They were committed to a certain level of quality, to a certain feel for the game. And uh, were we tempted to intervene? Yes, we were. But I think we have learned that we 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 must not and that uh, we must kind of organize the company to serve that creative magic and that creative spark. You know, we continue to kind of be on that journey. And, and as I said before, Monopoly Go taught us a lot. And I'm really proud of how we track these days with, uh, you know, creative teams that are, that are trying to build games. And as I said, the, the fundamental idea is that it is really the company that works for them, not, not, not the other way. One last question for you, Javier. We've talked a lot about Scopely, a lot about Savvy today, and it's all been really interesting, and I've learned a lot. But what else in the games industry are you excited about? If it's a, a game, a trend, a, a company, wherever you want to take it, what else are you excited about out there? I'm excited certainly about what's happening in kind of Fortnite. I think there's kind of some really interesting stuff that has to do with this future of kind of gaming, the way that we think about it. That's kind of exciting. Um, 
I'm excited around about kind of Royal Match. It's a game that we compete with, but uh, I am in awe and in um, admiration of just the kind of creative care and, and the kind of just the love that you feel whenever you kind of just interact with one of the screens of that game. It's a game that I've been kind of tracking, kind of following kind of closely since it launched and certainly not surprised, you know, what's in the marketplace. Uh, but I just, I'm just kind of really inspired by just the quality of, uh, of that product and, and through the quality, just the love and the craftsmanship uh, that, that, that you see from that team. So I am, I am amazed by that. I'm excited about Nintendo. Uh, and, you know, what an amazing kind of gameplay kind of company they are uh, and how they keep kind of surprising us with uh, just amazing kind of experiences that I can be like kind of players over the, you know, over the years and uh, across platforms. It's just it's just kind of amazing. You know, but I think most of all, I am excited around the global reach that gaming has today. You know, you said at the beginning, I have been working in games and in mobile games for quite a few years, you know, 20 years. All my career, I've only kind of worked in games. And, you know, just the attitude to games has kind of changed significantly over these last 20 years. And I think the fact that, uh, you know, we're the number one entertainment category, not just by revenues, which we are by a long, long way, but by, by audience, you know, like everybody's a gamer and everybody plays. And I think people have now recognized that, yes, play is the number one kind of psychological kind of need that perhaps people have. You know, and that to be able to be part of that industry and to serve that kind of uh, need at that scale of billions and billions of players kind of playing at games in the industry, I am, you know, incredibly excited and I'm, you know, very grateful to have been able to be part of this journey. All right. Well, this has been an amazing conversation, Javier, but let's wrap up here. Thank you again for joining me today. You were well-prepared, well-spoken as always, and your success is certainly an inspiration to many other leaders out there. So best wishes on the next two and a half years and, and longer, but thanks for hopping on. Thank you, Aaron. It's been a pleasure and uh, speak to you uh, in two and a half years, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot of kind of great new updates. <laughs> Yes, it'll be great. And to all of our listeners, we sincerely appreciate you tuning in as always. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, this is part two of our series covering the main pillars of Savvy Games Group. If you missed part one, definitely make sure to check out our recent conversation with Craig and Nick, the co-CEOs of ESL Faceit Group. And stay tuned for part three, in which I'll get the chance to chat with Brian Ward, CEO of Savvy Games Group. But with all that said, Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.